We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bob? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy us all. We move fast. Can you take it? No matter what you do now, you're still part of everything that's happening. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. We need more heart in motion pictures. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? Just put your lips together and blow. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell him. I just wanna say one word to you. Just one word. Are you listening? The Boulevard of Broken Dreams. We're making another movie. This is the one I'll be remembered for. You're listening to Sorted Cinema. My name is Simon Howell. I'm joined as always by Ricky D. This week we're joined once again by a special guest, Randy Dankovich. We are talking, you know, now that the Halloween costumes are put away and the memes are beginning to fade, uh, we thought it would be a good time to uh, talk like adults about Squid Game. Uh, is it actually, you know, now that we ha- have seen the cultural impact, um, Maybe we can get a, a little bit of distance and, and, and ask ourselves, is this dang thing any good? Let's hear a clip. Welcome back to the show. It's Sorted Cinema. Um, hello, hello, gentlemen. Um, before we get started, I have a a, a, a a couple of quick show notes. We haven't been doing a lot of show notes lately. Uh, you're getting a, a few of them this week. That's just how it goes when it rains, it pours. Um, off the top, uh, astute listeners will have noticed a change in host lineup as well as in uh, what we've been talking about. Suddenly we're talking about series. What's going on? Patrick's not around. What's going on? Um, Patrick did decide to take a step back, although of course he's uh, welcome to come on uh, any old time. Um, And we decided to, uh, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. We do this for ourselves. We don't charge anybody any dang money for it. Uh, In fact, it costs us money reliably. (laughs) Um, And uh, so, you know, we sometimes we feel the need to mix it up and that's what we've been doing. Um, However, we've also talked about um, having more guests on and Ricky, you and I have talked about potentially stepping up production a little bit, um, which I think we'd both like to do. 
I mean, we've covered TV shows in the past. We've done Breaking Bad on this podcast. I could swear we did Justified. The leftovers, maybe, but we we've had like TV podcasts. Yeah, so. we've had little we've had little side uh, side miniseries and stuff. It's hard to keep up, Simon. We've been doing this since 2007. I've had the Walking Dead podcast, Game of Thrones, True Detective. Yeah, you did Televerse for a while. I did, which was itself a lot of work. It's a very different landscape than it was in 2007 because now with Netflix, HBO Max, Hulu. Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, a lot of uh, movies Peacock? are getting released direct to to streaming services. That also brings me to my second show note, and then we really can and should get started, which is that I have a new podcast, new podcast, podcast. Um, it is a very, very different vibe from Sorted Cinema, so I'm only going to plug it this one time. Uh, it is with my uh, another podcast I did, The Lodgers, the Twin Peaks podcast that I did um, with uh, my, my good friend Kate Redebaum. She's also... Uh, providing the intellectual um, heavyweight presence that I require for this sort of endeavor. Uh, the Ackerman Year, it's all about Chantelle Ackerman and her films and her art. Um, loads of really cool guests we've got lined up. Some of the names that she's lobbed at me that we're going to try to get. Uh, listener, I cannot tell you, but some of them have me very intrigued and excited uh, if we could pull that off. Um, anyway... Uh, you can go the the initial uh, sort of pilot episode and the first proper episode should be up by the time you hear this. Um, and uh, yeah, lots of great discussion about uh, intense uh, and terribly interesting French, uh, I should say Belgian uh, art house cinema and documentary short film. She worked in all kinds of formats, really cool stuff. I think you might be surprised at how into it um, we get and how into it you might get if you listen. Uh, that's it. Okay. That's all the show notes. Okay, so uh, Randy, as I, I think you're, I don't know, between you or I, I'm not sure who the harshest TV critic is. I think it might be you. When I love, I love hard, though. That's fair. So do you love Squid Game hard? I guess. Wait, can I rephrase the question? Yeah, you should. Sure Before the show became a huge phenomenon, did you love Squid Game hard? I... There are parts of Squid Game I really love, and I love um, what this show is reaching towards and what it's trying to say. Uh, I think at times, as we'll talk about, it's debatable how effective it is or how distracted it can get from its point. But I think as a funnel for uh, some really interesting ideas about modern society, I think Squid Game totally works. I also think mm -hmm. it works on kind of like, you know, we've, we've all, I've had conversations with both of you before about how we kind of are missing that cultural touchstone every now and then the ones that we get, you know, like the Mandalorian and Tiger King are not necessarily the ones we would like to see the cultural galvanized behind. And if squid game is what we're going to see more of in popular culture, I'm, I'm all for that. But you see, the reason why I asked if you loved it more before it became a huge hit was because I still think this is a fantastic series it was my pick. I decided to review this today on today's show, but I, I'm not going to lie, guys. It's been so annoying following the TikTok videos, the tweets, the Facebook uh, posts, the constant YouTube theories. Like, I, I think I think what I dislike about the popularity of Squid Game is I think the creators and or Netflix made a huge mistake in, first of all, releasing this with dubbed English. Like you can actually like instead of like keeping the sub subtitles on you can actually like choose the English language, which I think makes the show really bad. And a lot of uh, people who I know who dislike the show, they all say the acting is terrible after watching one or two episodes because they're watching the English dub version, which I reply, well, would you watch your favorite movie like Casablanca or The Godfather in Chinese or Korean? Like it just would be weird, right? Well, I think it's different like, a conversation for different people though. You know, I certainly know people that... You know, it's there's certainly a conversation to be had around what kind of barrier it is. But I do know people that struggle to watch subtitles and a film at the same time. And I mean, you can debate for all day or not whether that's legitimate. But I certainly know people that can miss content when they're trying to or miss performances when they're trying to follow subtitles. So I think for Squid Game to have the reach that it does, I think having having a dubbed version, you know, we could certainly do better with our dubs and Netflix in general could do better. But I think 
it's another avenue of access. And I think preserving that is important, especially if we want larger audiences to open their eyes to more global series like this. Right. But I mean, Parasite was a huge hit and it didn't have an, uh, an English dubbed. I don't think so. I don't, maybe the DVD release. I'm not sure. But I mean, people went to go see it in movie theaters and it was in what? Korean. I'm sorry. Uh, Parasite. Yeah. But I think even that, like, like how, you know, how big is the circle of people that actually saw Parasite versus how many people just talked about it and didn't see it, you know? Right. But, but here's, here's where I'm getting to. So, and I feel like a lot of people haven't actually fairly watched Squid Game from start to finish. Um, a lot of people did check out. And I do think that people can have the choice to watch the English dub version for sure. And I understand that some people just can't, for whatever reason, keep up with the subtitles. But I think it's unfair to criticize a show as being bad or having terrible acting based on one episode because of like English dub subtitles is the point I'm trying to make. And last point I'm going to try to make before we get to the review, I'm just trying to get like why I'm so annoyed by the show right now is like, you know, the whole thing about the parents and the kids and Halloween and the games taking place at school. Like this is nine episodes of a South Korean show, which let's be honest, like if your kid is watching nine hours of a TV show, that's also South Korean and you do not know, then there's something wrong with you as a parent. Like it just doesn't make sense. Like the point is most kids are watching bits and pieces of this and or reenactments on places like TikTok. They're not actually watching Squid Game. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see how this became such a huge phenomenon. And I would be interested to know how many people have actually viewed the show, watched the entire series from episode one to episode nine. I'm not debating that Netflix lied about the viewership, and it most likely is the most popular show Netflix has ever released. But I would love to know the actual true numbers. Does anyone know what the default audio option is when people first launch English. Squid Game? Okay. English. Well, yeah, I think English. I think that might be account based, isn't it? Because when I first started watching it, it was definitely in subtitles. But when my partner started watching it, she definitely had the dubbed version. So I think it may be an account based thing. Oh wow. Okay. Maybe I don't know because for me it was it was in English, but I always watch all of my international movies and TV shows in the original language with subs. Interesting. We're also we also have to remember that you and I are interacting with two different versions of Netflix as well because Netflix in Canada is different than in the United States. So I guess the true answer is. Who the fuck knows? You know, I'm going to guess, though, that like I think at the end of the day, the important thing is that like people are exposed to it, whether it's through the 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 subtitles or the dub. You know, I think we could all get behind a movement for better dubs. The actual subtitles aren't accurate. Also, accurate or not, they're full of errors to the point where it actually changes the motivations and and meaning behind some of the characters and actions that they take and even the actual rules of the game. It's a Final Fantasy seven problem. (laughs) <laughs> I like that comparison, Randy. Wait, Simon, I know you have a lot to say, but I need to just ask a question, okay? Because, so, uh, Randy and I watched a show, I think, bef- like, right away, before it became, like, this big thing. You watched it, like, I think this week. So you're, like, somewhat of a latecomer. So um, I want to know how how your experience was watching this show and being surrounded by all of this hype, which, let's face it, a lot of it was somewhat annoying. I don't know. I feel like I, I had my expectations in check because there'd been enough waves of everyone being everyone sort of discovering it, being excited about it, and then having the wave of, oh, well, you know, the ending kind of sucks or this was kind of stupid or this was a little bit too much. Um, So I kind of fit, I the discourse is so intense and the cycles are so rapid now that by the time I went to finally sit down and watch it like six days ago, seven days ago. It, it was kind of over already. Like now it's just one of those other things that percolates in the culture. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I, I think the peak was Halloween. Yeah. All, the, the costume value was over. Um, and I think to be honest, if Netflix did any of this on purpose in terms of when they released it, then my hats are off to them because uh, that's some, that's some brilliant uh, release strategy at work. Okay. But hear me out. So, we have always been a fan of this type of genre. I mean, I remember when we reviewed all of the Hunger Game films, for example, and we raved about, yeah, and we raved about movies similar, for example, The Running Man, The Most Dangerous Game. Remember Series 7, The Truman Show, The Tent Victim, Lord of the Flies. Remember Turkey Shoot? Yeah. And The Human Race? I don't think I remember the human race. It played at Fantasia. The guy had one leg. 
Uh, I really don't remember that that one. That one fell down the oubliette. We know that his influences were mostly manga, like the Liar Game, uh, Battle Royale, clearly, right? But I could not help but think of a movie. And I was like, why hasn't Simon chosen this movie for us to review yet? And the movie is Cube. Thank you. Oh, my God. I'm so I'm so glad you said Cube because I thought of Cube so often right down to um, the maybe this is what made you think of it also. But for the first five or six episodes, there's a lot of time spent with the old man and how he's going to hold them back and trying to um, make sure he's okay which is a direct mirror of how the uh, mentally handicapped character in um, in Cube is treated. Also, you have a bunch of people who are very different, who do not know each other, meet for the first time, trapped in an environment that looks computer-generated, and they are trying to solve puzzles before being murdered. Now, there's a lot of similarities, again, to the most dangerous game and Hunger Games and Battle Royale, but I think it best resembles the movie Cube. And right down to the characterization of the um, the sort of alpha male of the group um, who is like, you know, physically larger than the others in, in Cube, it's a cop and in uh, Squid Game, it's a criminal. But the same basic social dynamic is very similar. But we are given a cop, a detective in Squid Game also. Yeah, also, yes. Um, un- unfortunately, um, my overall feeling about Squid Game, having watched it more recently and post uh, the waves of discourse is that uh, it was a pretty okay show that could have been a really great one with a couple of really ruthless story edits. Um, And when I say ruthless story edits, I'm talking about taking this from nine episodes to five or four. Yes, let's go. Um, I'm talking about getting rid of entire characters and B and C plots. Um, I'm talking about getting rid of entire perspectives uh, because the, the stuff that it does so well, much like in Mike Flanagan's series, it's really at the it's at the center, the geographic center of of the season, uh, and it's at the geographic center of the themes and the action. And I'm t- that's I'm talking about the games, the games and the and everything that takes place within the physical realm of the space they live in while they do the games, um, with some allowances made for the brief period where they're out of it in the second episode. Uh, that it's should be where, laughed. which is great uh, for the most part. Hey, there is a movie I watched a while back. I cannot remember the name of the movie for the life of me. I might have seen it at the Fantasia Film Festival, and it has the red light, green light game. It's a similar sort of like battle royale genre film. Yeah, and I don't remember if it was Japanese or Korean, but man, it's driving me nuts. If anyone's listening to this podcast, let me know on Twitter. I'm I'm glad you're describing the feeling of not knowing what this reminds you of, because that was the other prevailing feeling of uh watching watching this and i i think that um we should obviously mention the film uh the the series was written created by a fellow named twang dong hyuk um i'm i'm sure i butchered that and i'm very sorry he wrote and directed the entire show which is uh even now pretty rare for someone to hog all those credits um and um you know it's uh, it's a blessing and a curse because clearly he was able to see his vision through. On the other hand, in my opinion, uh, if he had taken this somewhere other than or if somewhere other than Netflix had optioned this, where they actually assert some editorial um, some editorial lines every once in a while, which Netflix does not, for the most part, um, I think you would have ended up with a better show almost anywhere else. To be honest, well, Netflix also pushed him to make it longer. Yeah, you know, this was originally a film script. And oh, I was it? it was Did th- I didn't know series. that. Yeah, and then when it came to Netflix, they you know expanded it out to what a full series is. And I think right, I think you can kind of feel that around towards the end of episode seven, and especially once you get into episode eight and nine, that. Um, all of a sudden somebody realized that they were writing a TV show and yeah. TV shows can have multiple seasons. And I think that's really where the show runs into a lot of problems and sometimes contradicts some of its best points that it makes. Um, but, uh, you know, I agree with you, Simon, from episode two to episode seven, you know, this is about as good as TV gets. And I'd say that with the good and the bad, accepting that all great television is going to have, some flaw somewhere like that level of confidence comes with some level of swing and miss. Um, 
and I, I just think some of some of the character arcs that could go through in those five episodes are so well done, even down to like things that are dumb, but still cool. Like, um, you know, the character who's the, the prototypical gangster who in the site ends the second episode by stabbing a dude, laughing at a bunch of gangsters and then jumping off a fucking bridge. Um, and that's the kind of shit, you know, I want to see television take swings like that. Um, so that that kind of stuff I appreciate. It's amazing how, I, I mean, the original script, as I understand it, was written like over a decade ago. And I think the, the whole project. global financial crises ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's amazing how the, the, the concepts percolating in the show that are all, they're all synthesized from the, from the era in which it was written, both in terms of what was happening in, what was happening politically and what was happening in the culture. Um, and I think it is, it's, there's not an original thought in this show's head. I don't think, um, I don't, I don't mean that as a criticism. I think it's just a fact. Um, and there's not many, there's not many, you know, originality is in short supply everywhere, um, as is to be expected. But I think that the, the synthesis of elements and the, and the way they're combined and for the most part, how the core elements are executed are pretty strong. Um, I think we're all basically in agreement that the the stuff that doesn't work is mostly on the periphery and I guess was, was perhaps uh, in general added in later by necessity. You know, I'm glad you both mentioned characters because that's one of the reasons why I think this show is better than, and I love the hunger games, but better than the hunger games. I think it does help that each of the characters are reduced to numbers on the shirt. I think thematically that works for the show, but I think it's also easier for us to remember, remember number 67, number 456, because let's face it, a lot of these names are not easy to remember because we are English speaking and they are South Korean. But I don't know. I really love the characters. And just for an example, Ji Hung, the, the main character, I like how he's a deeply flawed character. And he might have the biggest emotional journey of any character in a show. Now, of course, he gets more screen time and he's there from start to finish. But I don't know, like he I, I like how he rediscovers his humanity, how he grows as a character, how he inspires his colleagues and himself to be a better person. And there's there's something about his character where I didn't really like his character at the start of the show. I only really started to like him when he formed the relationship with the old man player number 001. And I think their relationship is maybe one of the most interesting relationships in the, in, in, in the, the series, because that's when we really start to care about some of the characters. So I read that his character is loosely based on the experiences of workers in South Korea's fourth largest automaker. And from my understanding, there was like a bunch of layoffs and everyone went on strike and they called in the ride police. It became this big, huge story in South Korea, which therefore became the inspiration for making or for writing the original Squid Game film. Because this was like Randy said, was a, supposed to initially be a movie. And so there were worker layoffs and it made like front page news for weeks and weeks. And, you know, they brought in tear gas and helicopters and the army and like whatever. And so his character is based on one of these people and of those workers that worked at the automaker plant, a lot of those people ended up killing themselves. They committed suicide. And maybe that's why he is in some ways such a relatable character, because let's face it, like all of these characters are struggling in life. I think one of the reasons why this becomes such a success and maybe also because it was released during the pandemic is because I think a lot of characters are relatable. Like, can you relate to anyone in the Hunger Games? I can't. I think the I agree with some of what you're saying in praise of the show. I think, unfortunately, the I think all the aspects of his character that work and that make him a rousing and attractive figure in the context of the games. I think later in the in the in the show, he gives a long monologue, which explains most of the backstory that you just gave. Um, yeah, there's, the real a life flash, there's an actual flashback, like brief yeah. interlude there showing what that looked like. <laughs> I think that sequence, uh, even though it was like nakedly expository and very long, <laughs> um, at least in my mind, um, I think that worked fine to communicate what we needed to know about his character. What let me down and what actually made me think I was really not going to like this show very much um, at the outset, uh, every the, the the family melodrama of that for that character was just to me very thin. 
like very like really not imaginative and really just um like just sledgehammered in for that whole first episode in a bit uh what a loser he is um how much of a dirtbag he is and how and i don't know it was just i didn't i don't think it adds anything to the show and i don't think that it meaningfully connects to anything that he does in the games really i think i think i I, i'm not going to disagree with you but i do think by the end of the nine episodes he is a completely different person than who we are introduced to in that first episode and so there is growth in his character and he does change i don't believe that I mean, the last second, the last shot of that season would suggest that, no, he hasn't really changed all that much. I think there's a there's an addiction to his character that he is unable to let go. I mean, this whole show is about this guy who is unable to he he does everything under the guise of trying to better himself and his daughter. Right. Uh, Except that he does. He's estranged from his daughter. His wife has left them. They're leaving the country. And in the end, he has the choice to continue pursuing the shit that he has pursued his entire life or go be with his daughter. And he continues to pursue the same shit. I think to what Simon says, I think the thing that sticks out that ends up sticking out a little bit about that first episode and just how much they stack the deck against Jihun's character, where I think the rest of the series kind of acts as a counter to that is that they're able to express the same things and the same flaws with any human being with Song Wu and offer a much more holistic view of what that kind of person would be and the arc they would take in a game like this. I think, you know, Ricky, you, you asked like what character is probably the most relatable. And I think out of anyone on this show, it's probably Song Wu and, and how he tries to operate within the confines of the system that he's partaking in and, and trying to, you know, exploit the advantages that he can manipulate within that system and then having to deal with the failures of those gambles. And I think that's those moments, you know, when you think about kind of what the show is saying or not even saying, but just thinking about in the larger terms and an economic sense, you know, what is it saying about people like Song Wu that operate in the world? You know, and I think I think that arc ends up for me personally being the most satisfying and the most relatable as somebody who is not, you know, making the good choice as a human being is not the easy choice to make. The easy choice to make are the one song we makes throughout this series. Just to defend my buddy here, Ji Hung. So the thing about these characters is friendships within the arena, within the game, they're formed out of necessity, right? They're paired with a team teammate team members whatever but they're not just transactional like there's a lot of bonds that he forms with the players specifically the old man right away i think in episode two and i think we needed that friendship that relationship to be formed for me to really care more about the show and it's not just another battle royale type of show but even there like they're hesitant to bring the old guy into their like collective until they realize that the old man can provide value to them and having knowledge about the games that they might be playing So I do think that there's at the foundation of all these relationships, there's still a transactional nature. And I think when you get to episode six and the show forces all of these characters in a corner where they, where they really have like, that is that conception is really challenged. I think that's where the series has the loudest voice in what it's trying to say is in exploring. Okay. So you met these people and you came together out of necessity now you have to make a choice and how do you do that how do you f- how do you figure out your way through a relationship with a stranger how do those transactions before that inform life or death decisions for people and i think that's kind of the most interesting part of the series is examining how various systems of the world bring us together but then also compel us to rip each other apart at the same time but here here's another major difference between squid game and again the hunger games or battle royale Friendships are formed at necessity, which means that it doesn't necessarily mean that one person walks out alive. It states right away in the, I think, first or second episode, there could be more than one winner. But for some people, it's at their advantage for as many people to die because they walk away with more money. It's $84,000 per person that dies. So I think it starts with $84,000. I'm talking about like Canadian dollars here. I don't know what it is in like South Korea. And then you times that by 480 players and you're at what, 36 million, I think. I'm bad at math here. But 
that's what I like about the, the, the actual games itself within Squid Game, because no one survives on their own. You do need help because you're put into teams and you survive because of the sacrifices of your teammates and also sacrifices of people that might not be on your team. And so I do like how it examines how far people will go when they're pushed to their limits. And also, I think the best twist, and you guys might disagree because I did not see this coming, it's when they are actually allowed to vote themselves off the island and to stop playing the games. I did not expect that at all. I've never seen that in any sort of like Running Man or Hunger Games or Battle Royale or or you have it, like any kind of like movie or manga or TV show based on this survival, like battle royale style, like theme. That's the essential innovation of Squid Game. Actually, it's the only real innovation of Squid Game, but it's so important, not just because it's surprising, uh, but because it completes the allegory. Because if, if, if this is a show about capitalism, then it also has to be a show about coercion. And it has to be a show about, um, about, the, about the market and the concept of choice. Um, because th- this doesn't work unless they have convinced themselves that they've opted in when in fact their conditions outside of the game uh, ne- necessitate that they will go back, which the people who have organized the games very well know or else they wouldn't have chosen them. They, they, have, they have successfully manufactured the appearance that they have voted for it, which is, you know, if, you, if, if, you're, gonna, if you're gonna make a show that discusses, uh, you know, contemporary global democracy and capitalism you've got to talk about opting in it makes them believe everyone has a fair shot no one does no one is discriminated against you know not because of age you'll succeed but we all know it's somewhat of a lie if you're not part of that one percent like the system is going to be unfair to you or to gain your advantage you're gonna have to do it on the backs of the people that surround you Exactly. The system is rigged, but they believe it. And that's what keeps them in the game. And that's what makes them eventually return to the game. And it seems like, I mean, the show can feel free to play fast and loose with this in future seasons, which it clearly it will definitely have. But it also seems like the people running the show earnestly believe it, too. Like they seem to believe that their games are fair. Am I right? I think you're right. I, I do want to talk about my favorite character, who is player number one, the old man. Mm, the show ruined it. I'm sorry. Well, here's the thing, because I, I like right away from, I think like the second episode, I knew he was the puppet master. I don't know why. Maybe I've just watched too many TV shows and movies. I knew he was a pu- the puppet master. So although I did not like that twist and the ending, it didn't really surprise me. So it didn't really ruin the show or the season for me because I already knew it, it was coming. So maybe it's because you guys didn't like that twist at the end. My main beef. I mean, I, I was talking about talking about things. The show could edit out. Um, this is something that basically all shows that involve a like world global conspiracy to, uh, to, manip- to manipulate people into certain ends. Uh, I'm thinking about Rubicon. I'm thinking about, um, uh, what else am I thinking about? Um, I guess to like 24 to some extent. Um, uh, Mr. Robot is the other one I was thinking of. Every time these shows, and I think Squid Game is, is part of this club too, every single time they show you the conspirators, every single time you get to meet them and hear what their evil plans are, uh, rather than just ha- having the experience from the grunt level perspective of the people on the end of the conspiracy, they fall flat on their fucking face. And Squid Game does the exact same thing at the very end when it shows us explicitly that yes, the old man is the puppet master, and then he dies, but then he's not dead. Is oh my but, god! But the thing is, I said he's my favorite character. I didn't say that he has the best story arc or the script or whatever the story about him. Like that's a, that's a, a problem on the script level. But him as a character, I did like him as a character. And again, I did see the plot, the twist coming from a mile away. But even though I was convinced that he was the puppet master, I still felt really sad when he died. And I knew he didn't die because he's the only character to die off screen. And it's like, why would you have him die off screen? So I guess my suspicion about him is correct. But I mean, I still did love his relationship with the players, especially the main character, 456. And I also like even if it's complete, even if you end the series and it's completely false, you still 
have I don't know if it's completely false because he, he there's something about his character. Like I know there's a theory about how he's really his dad. You know that doesn't really matter. No, fuck but that. Like, I mean his character's yeah. full of shit. His character is full of shit from the moment we he appears on screen to the very end until the until he's laying in bed and is about to die. I mean he is literally full of shit that entire time. I mean he's been. You know, the whole concept behind his character is that he has literally been pushing these people into these games for years by buying up their debts, like, unilaterally across the board. Like, I'm going to buy up every middle-class person's debts in this country and then funnel them into this game where I'm going to come in and act like some feeble old man who just happens to know a lot of stuff. Like, I, I don't think I'm supposed to like him as a character. I mean, I, I guess that liking and best character, like, best and favorite, it depends on how you define that. But, like, fuck that dude. But but I, I do feel like he serves a lot of purpose. Again, he has the relationship with the main character, which makes us, the viewers, actually care about the characters or start caring about the characters. He's also beneficial because he knows how to win or survive most of the games, which we eventually find out. Also, he actually has the nostalgia for the childhood games. He actually knows what they are about. He he like It brings in that sense of nostalgia. And I mean, even if you do not like the plot twist, which I agree, I wasn't a big fan of either. I do still think his character is an interesting character, but look, when it comes to the quote unquote puppet masters, he's far more interesting than the, the uh, VIPs who I guess the VIPs could be stand-ins for us, the audience watching a, a, a show. <laughs> the point is, I mean, if they, if they remove this plot twist, okay, then we just have a bunch of like badly acted, vip rich dudes in weird masks masturbating while watching these guys play these these like sounds accurate to me i mean (laughs) what else can you ask for in a real world allegory i mean i think if you remove that last scene with um ilnam's character i i i I don't really think the series loses the like the show loses much about what it's saying like there's an interesting application of it like applying these ideas to like this whole concept of a squid game and the the corporation behind it, as opposed to attaching that to a, a character that we're personally invested in. But I, I don't think the trade-off of what you get is worth it. Ultimately. I think without that twist, the show still operates as a really effective, you know, critique of what capitalism considers fair circumstances for, you know, average human beings to make financial decisions. Like, But do, do you think that you and Simon don't like the twist just because it's bad storytelling or because you've seen this done too many times in the past. My problem with it is that it's not a promising direction if they're going to make more of it, which they clearly are. Um, It's it's, it, it doesn't make me excited about the prospect of more of this story. If this is the kind of direction they're going to be taking uh, it's not very encouraging to me. Yeah. It's, it's I I guess both, both because it's both because it's kind of just, it's kind of just dumb in my opinion. Uh, and it's, and it doesn't help service the themes very well. I don't think it reminds me of Mr. Robot. Like when you talked about Mr. Robot before, it was his character that I thought of the most because it's like the show having a great idea and then being like, well, what's the most clever way I can tell this to people. So it's like, has the most impact. And then instead of picking a really clever way to do it, they just pick a really stupid way to do it. Just like this show, another rare instance where it was basically one guy uh, dictating ev- basically every aspect. Because I wonder if screenplay writers these days feel an added pressure to include a bunch of plot twists, especially when you're asked to take a script that's made for a two hour film and turn into like nine hours for a TV show. And I well, say this because who doesn't a like of... the prospect of more money. I mean, that's like the thing about Squid Game, right? Is that like we like money and we need to have it. So like pursuit of it is accepted. But that said, Squid Game has all the characteristics of typical Korean dramas and what makes them successful, including these, quote unquote, plot twists. Uh, You know, like look at the K-dramas and even like the Korean films that we love. They're hugely popular because of what? Because of the well-written characters and the plot twist, the unexpected plot twist. Although in this case, I didn't think it was unexpected because I saw it coming a mile away. But and also just like the actual themes. I mean, this is no different than a movie like Parasite when we talk about capitalism and social political like themes within the actual film and or in this case, the TV show.
to me, it's not so much about, I mean, themes, yes. Um, style, uh, this show doesn't have quite as much style as I'd like, except for, like, obviously specific sets and uh, s- some specific uh, design elements are quite cool. Um, but in terms of the actual, in terms of the actual shooting style, I didn't find it all that interesting for the most part. Uh, but what I do think is the other like important characteristic um, that connects a lot of the uh, a-, a lot of the p- popular Korean stuff is uh, shameless melodrama. Shameless. Hey, that's <laughs> that. That is what people love about Korean dramas. No, that's what. No, no. I'm 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 saying it as. At, neutrally like so it either okay. sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and like i think um squid game is another thing that's really important to say about about how it does what it does is that it is shamelessly melodramatic so often i mean there is a some of it works um i think a lot of the stuff before the old man's character is sort of impugned by the ending i think a lot of the stuff with uh, with him and 456 is really good um less good i think is um the stuff between the uh really just let's call them what what they are which is the the two young female characters um who uh one gets some 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 stuff to do and the other one basically everything she gets to do is like a construct to get to the episode where the other girl has to feel bad uh, about what's happening (laughs) Okay, we are on so we we are not on the same page today because I love the ladies in the show. Like I understand that they don't get enough screen time and their characters aren't fleshed out enough and they could do more with their stories. But I maybe it's just the performances. But player the performances are very good. Performances. Yes, player number sixty-seven. She's a great actress. Uh, she was the one I was rooting for. I was like, if I want someone to win, I was rooting for player number sixty-seven. This was her first acting role, Simon. Her first time acting. She is. Yeah, she amazing. was like in the the Korean version of a like America's Next Top Model at some point or something. I think that's like she was a model, a big model in the country or something like that. If I remember. Okay, and then, but this is her first actual acting game. Yeah, no, this is like her first. Yeah, like acting. Okay, but I, I just love their performance. I thought it was subtle, layered, like even though the fact, even though they don't give her much to do. Well, uh, I think her like, story is really interesting too. Like the idea of defection and like the identity crisis that can come out of that and how that kind of frames her interactions initially with some of the other characters, I think is really interesting stuff. For anyone that didn't pick up on this, she is from North Korea and she actually does try to hide the fact that she's from North Korea to the point where she hides her accent. She doesn't want people to even catch on to where she's from. And there is a disconnect with her and the rest of the ladies, especially even something as simple as when they talk about pop culture and she doesn't understand what, what they're talking about. So I do like how she's an outsider and how she tries to hide the fact that she's an outsider, even though she's in this crazy game where people kill themselves or kill each other. It's, it's just like there, there is something incredible about her performance. And also, I do think that the actress who plays Ji Young, who's player number 240, uh, again, like I think you're totally right, Simon. Like it, the, the, their relationship seems set up just to get to the scene when they're playing marbles, and they decide, okay, we're not going to actually play marbles. We're going to set aside the time to get to know each other, and then she sacrifices herself, and you know, pretty much commits suicide so the other girl survives, right? And I think that was all constructed to get the emotional reaction of us, the audience. I get it; it's still a TV show, but I still think that those two young ladies did an incredible job acting and i say this because when i started the podcast i got so like frustrated with so many people saying that the acting is bad it's not bad you're just watching the show dubbed if you watch it in south korean the acting is incredible especially from these two the acting is is pretty good across the board um which is uh honestly the reason i think the show remains watchable because um yeah i mean we we talked about this off mic but there's a lot of the, some character stuff is really interesting on paper. Like, yes, the fact that you have a North Korean defector, the fact that you have a character from Pakistan. Yeah. That was the other character I was going to talk about. Yeah. Which like, that is something I've never seen. Like, it's so rare to have um, an immigrant story from something that is not American. Um, It's just, it's, it's a different perspective, but. Which is so true, except he is in a bunch of South Korean films. uh, Is he? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, the show doesn't do anything interesting with it at all. Uh, and um, the, really, the the only note that he, that he has in the end is just being a bit pathetic, which is not great. 
Player number 199, the Pakistani immigrant, he's by far my least favorite uh, character. I do think the actor is a really talented actor, but I just do not like his character because I agree with you. His character is pretty bland and he, he is he is just that he is. He's the immigrant. Well, I think there's also a little bit more to that. It's the idea that like, you know, being nice, being a nice person and trying to exist within these systems and to really look out for each other and be selfless is antithetical to success. You know, I think, you know, I don't think he's that that effective of a character, but I think like, especially in episode six, when him and Song Wu are paired together, I think that's a perfect pairing to really juxtapose a lot of the ideas that this show has about individuals existing within various confines. Like, I couldn't imagine a better pairing for Song Wu's character than the kind of pathetic, nice, like migrant character like that. Those ideals, like just the like concept of privilege between those two and how they both approach it in that game is like really interesting. So I think, yeah, not the most effective character, but like how that character is utilized is actually really good for considering the rest of the show around it. And to be fair, we live in North America. And if we watched this from the lens of someone who lived in South Korea, we would see a completely different character because he does represent the immigrants who moved to South Korea in hopes of finding a better life, providing for their family. In this case, he's exploited by free labor. And from my understanding, a lot of immigrants who go to South Korea are from Pakistan. What I thought about when I thought about his character and like the fact that he's like missing fingers from doing his work and stuff, it just made me think of like, like, wow, like what, what would have happened if a show like say Superstore had a character who like lost an arm because of like an accident in their like stock room or something like that. Like, and that's kind of how I tried to like think about the context of it was like, what would that character look like on an American show about kind of similar, like not similar, not to say Squid Game and Superstore are similar, but some of the concepts that they have are similar. So like, I, I, I think his character should have been better written, but the, the concept of it, especially from a Western audience's point of view, is kind of a radical one. You don't usually see like yeah. people that are victims of labor. Like people's are like you get characters that are like victims of war or victims of political systems or prison systems, but not of their jobs, which is a very, very interesting context. And when we get with the main character who is clearly dealing with like the psychological fallout from you know, the the auto labor dispute that took over their country. I, I think that episode six is really, you kind of knew it already, but I think that's really when it, it becomes clear to you and they really hammer home. These characters aren't people. They are representatives of a certain section of society. What about, what about player number 212, the player who Randy hates and I absolutely love? The true wild card. Oh, I didn't say I hated her. I just thought she was a very one-dimensional character. Oh, for sure. But she's by far the most entertaining. We don't know much about her backstory. I'm not entirely sure why she's in the game. But I don't know. I could not help but root for her. I thought she was just... She's so fun. She's she's not educated, but she's clearly street smart. And in a lot of ways, she's smarter than the rest of the players. She is, she's definitely the least uh, archetypal of the characters, or at least to me, she is. Um, I, 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 I think she brings some verve to the games that would otherwise be missing um, for better or uh, not always uh, used, uh, I think, optimally. However, I will say that uh, her and uh, what's the, the, the criminals number? Uh, player 101. What 101, uh, her and 101's, uh, how swiftly they are offed um, did, was the only surprise of the games to me. Well, they're like tragic romance, like not a romance is, is really kind of a fun side plot for this show. It, yeah, it was, it was, it was handled nicely. It took, uh, it took up the correct amount of time in the show and was ended at the correct time. Now, just, just to be clear, when we are talking about player 101, we're talking about the secondary antagonist who pretty much emerges as the show's most fun and maybe even best villain, the guy who dies in the glass panel game. Yes. Yep. Okay. And he's the one that the guy who jumped off the bridge yeah. in the second episode. Yeah. 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 I mean, look, again, this character, I think he serves, uh, you know, he, he's an important character in the sense that he really does become the villain in those games because, like, let's face it, having a bunch of dudes just stare at like security cameras doesn't make them interesting villains. He becomes the real villain of the show until he dies, of course. I mean, we do have the, the front man. 
But the front the front man is the character who I like the least because there's the whole plot twist where we find out he's the brother of the detective. Which, who we don't give a fuck about. Can we really. can we, wait? Can we can we like can we can we talk about this a little bit? Because I think this is like where where Squid Game meets like where it Squid Game the film and Squid Game the series kind of intersect with each other. And I think it is by I think it's so laughably bad. You know, you talked about melodrama, and I think episode eight is kind of this is the Korean drama version, the strictly like domestic Korean drama version of this series, which is kind of about police corruption and kind of about shady groups in society, but also about sibling rivalries. And we're going to have half the island take place on this little tiny section of a beach. And our character is going to spend the, this is, this is what he does for the entire episode. He runs up a hill, he hides behind a tree, he gets shot and it takes us. It's the longest episode of the, is that the longest or the shortest episode of the series? I don't remember which one it is, but it I takes up the shortest such, one. Yeah. It takes up such an inordinate amount of time and becomes such like an important thing. Like, Oh, he's the front man because like the police officer came in and uncovered this organ stealing thing and they're burning bodies and there's a room of records and Oh, my brother won. And then wait, no, he shot me off. The, like what the fuck is going there was a one moment where i sat back and i said what is this show trying to say to me because i don't understand anymore he said like he the creator has said like this is where i want the show to go is to look at the front man and look at the sales guy and look at the system of this and i just have no interest in that no interest yeah he 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 does not want to write or direct season two but i mean netflix if they get if they give him like 300 million dollars whatever he's gonna i I think like the quotes he's giving gives me the impression that he will make more of this if they give him the money to make other films because he said he doesn't want to be like pigeonholed as this guy the problem is this character will be in the sequel because he doesn't die at the end. Like he falls off the cliff, but he's well. And the salesman, dead. I guess, is apparently the most famous, like domestically speaking, in South Korea, is the most famous actor of yeah. of the group. I don't um, know if he's the most famous, but he's pretty damn. He's famous. the most internationally known, I guess. Is he's sorry? The most which guy are we success. talking about? This is the guy the who, who challenges. Oh Ji-Hun yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who appears yeah. only twice. Maybe yeah, right. so apparently he is supposed to he would be a big focal point of like wherever this series went and just like I could give yeah, a fuck. Like, like I think I think he plays that character because it wouldn't cost him as much to put him in two scenes and or be, it was because of some kind of scheduling conflict. But but yeah, he's by, well, it's both like, him and Frontman. Frontman, the guy who played Frontman, um uh, uh Lee Bung Hong is Hun is also he was in like was he the one that was in the G.I. Joe movies? I don't remember. He was in him. Yeah, he was um, in the G.I. Joe movies. He's been in Terminator movies. So like he also has like a large international following, which also kind of makes it make sense that he only has one scene that he you know, he's actually only in the show for one scene. Um, so to think that like the show's going to go with the most famous actors and like follow their characters moving forward. Like, no, I'm sorry. I'm out. Like, I'm just not interested at all. It's also unfortunate because it means there's going to be less of what I think this season is best at, which is the design and implementation of the games, as well as um, most gracefully, I think, the social dynamics within the competitors and how the teams form, uh, which feels modeled off of a season of Survivor or something. Uh, I think that stuff is handled really beautifully, which is actually the hard part. That's what I find funny. Like it gets the hard stuff right and fumbles the easy stuff. But you know, I think what makes the show popular, it's not the good writing or the good characters. It's things like the set design, the PlayStation logos, the the costumes. And I'm not joking, like for real, like the PlayStation logos is something. No, no, the aesthetic of this show is, to, is, sure. is really on it's point. It's on point, yeah. Dude, the candy colored high concept dystopian set, the Barbie dream houses, the PlayStation, again, uniforms that she mentioned, the uh, just the actual color palette, like the pink really goes well with the green and the actual games themselves, because they are childhood games, which simplifies it for like, you know, you don't have to worry about explaining the rules. It simplifies it for most people who are familiar with the games. Even if you're not familiar with the games, it's pretty easy to understand what's going on, because once again, it's a childhood game. And and of course, the soundtrack, like, I mean, the soundtrack is probably a bigger hit than the actual TV show itself. I mean, every single day there's a new remix coming out. The song way back is maybe the best song in the series. It's the one that continuously reoccurs. And you have the song Pink Soldiers, which is also really good. And I think that's the track that underscores the actual uh, soldiers, right? The pink dudes. 
Is it um, weird that then, I didn't notice the music at all? Oh my god, it's so good. Dude, they use so much classical music too, like Serenade for the Strings, like a lot of classical music mixed in. I always say I noticed classical, the classical music yeah. is great to use because it never gets old and it's timeless. I think when you talk about the aesthetics, that's a good connection to our previous conversation about our, our friend, the cop character, because like the cop, the cop character essentially is there in this season to serve as a surrogate to like slowly introduce the world and, you know, the how do the people that work in the squid game work and where do they live and what do they do and what does everything look like? And like those aesthetics that visual design is so fucking cool that it's like really cool to see all of this introduced and like oh where's this going why does a front man wear such a cool mask and hey how did they install that really awesome floor that has everybody's picture on it and like i think my disappointment comes from like all of that ultimately being super boring and like stuff i don't care about because it's so cool looking and they do such a good job of like introducing us to it through that cop character to like see that it ends with like two brothers that we don't like a family that we know nothing about shooting each other is like, that's where you're going to go lead with all that. Like that is kind of a bummer. Yeah. Like it's, there's no way you, like, th- I'm sorry. You can't tell me that the, the, the cop subplot isn't made a thousand times better. If we see all that he gets to see and we, we like, we, we sort of see some of the seedier aspects of how it comes together. And then at the end of episode four, he gets a bullet in the brain. That's a way better version of that subplot. Yeah. And I, and it's not even like my aversion to squid game becoming a different kind of show because like as somebody who's like a, you know, this is a Japanese art, you know, it's still kind of in that Eastern frame, but like I'm a huge fan of the Yakuza series. So like, Putting me mm. into a, a TV show that gets into like cop corruption and, you know, Eastern gang culture and stuff. I'm all for that. Like, I would be all about that kind of show. But the way this show wants to do it. No, 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 no. no. Yeah. I just want to quickly mention that this show costs $16.8 million to make. So it's a pretty good budget for it a TV show. One, one tenth of a dune. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but look what they did. I mean, they did build every single one of the sets from scratch. Like even the the set for when they play marbles, like they actually built the set to make it look like a small neighborhood. And uh, I mean, the only set that's not really impressive is the opening red light, green light game because it's all in the open. But I do like how it's all in the open. It's the only set that doesn't feel claustrophobic. And yet I think 280 people die in that game. Um, I think it also speaks to like set design versus CGI and like having all of those be physical sets gives you so much more texture to what you're building. That that brings me to the last thing I want to mention and then we can think about wrapping up, which is just that um, I, I think that uh, there will though there is going to be more squid game. Um, it's probably going to be less good because that tends to be the direction of Netflix things. Maybe it'll be better. Who knows? Uh, but I, what I think is most interesting about the show isn't really even the show. It's, it, it, it's immense popularity at, at least for a moment, uh, whether it will last in the culture for any amount of time remains to be seen. But I think that it's, it's brief omnipresence is super interesting. I think the fact that this is what mega popular entertainment looks like now or can look like now, uh, says a lot about, um, what people are thinking and feeling, well, yeah, and like uh, and... backing it up against like the very beginnings of like what is starting to feel like a co like not necessarily coherent, but like a larger movement or conversation around labor, like the intersection of when this series became popular, I think will be a fascinating discussion for the next few years. Yeah, and uh, and not just what it's about, but how dark it is, uh, how grim it often is. I mean, right down to our hero you know winning the game and then not being able to even feel like he could touch the money his mother's dead you know they're they really it's it it really piles on the misery and the fact that people were just gobbling it up is uh very interesting to me um one more quick note i have to just mention that the soundtrack which i raved about is actually composed by the same composer who i believe did the music for parasite there you go. I didn't even know that. Full circle. We have come. So question. Out of the games, which was your favorite? Because Red Light, Green Light seems to be the most popular. Well, I think that's like shock factor. 
are are we going for for favorite as in best depiction or favorite or which one would we most like to find ourselves playing? Okay, no, I'm talking about in terms oh, of like the that. actual production values, like the oh, design of the set, the overall visual aesthetic, the actual game itself. Did it create suspense? Was there any big surprises? I really liked the the bridge game. I have to say, um, I I like the way it dispatched the two characters I mentioned earlier. Um, I didn't really like the exploding glass arbitrarily killing off a character, um, but uh, I I did like everything else. But you know, so the, the the only thing I do not like about the glass panel game is it doesn't make sense that one of the guys would actually be able to tell the difference between the two panels because you would think that he would just tell everyone that he knows how to tell the difference because time is running out and therefore he could die if, the, if they don't make it to the end. Like this is what I mean about how they need to work as a team. So I like I like the idea of it. I think visually it's appealing and interesting, like the the actual set itself. But the game didn't really make much sense, and it's actually good that uh, player number one was quote-unquote killed off before they get to that game because that's one of the games where everyone can actually die because of the exploding glass at the end right i mean that's what didn't really make much sense of it i personally exploding glass was silly honestly it was silly i liked the tug of war the best by far i it was i mean again it's kind of silly that uh, you have this one man explaining how to like win tug of war (laughs) and like it makes it very clear like he's in on the game but i just like the whole look of it and uh, i thought it created the most suspense i thought it was like in terms of like the actual direction and even like the way the camera was set up and the shot selection uh i really really loved that one and and just for anyone at home who's missing out on the themes or wants to interpret it in some other way it's also the scene that contains a giant literal guillotine yes which is pretty cool um, I think I would have to agree that the tug of war is probably my favorite game, but I think, I think the reason why is because of how it's utilized, especially in how they end episode four in the middle of like our little band of protagonists, like life or death match. You know, I think visually it's debatable. It's, it's kind of the one example of the show using CGI. That's kind of obvious. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm willing to accept the show's budgetary limitations for the sake of my entertainment. Um, honestly, I'd rather have something look cheap than, than look expensive. I mean, Um, they really should have built, uh, an actual functioning huge guillotine because, uh, someone would have bought that prop for a lot of money. Um, but I, you know, like the way they end episode four and how they utilize like the rules of that game and the way the game's designed as, part of the climax of that episode i think is really it's it's a phenomenal combination of elements you know what's weird is there's six games and i can only remember five there's red light green light there's tug of war there's the glass panel there's marbles and there's the one in which they have the honeycombs what's the and there's squid game? game oh squid, squid game. game of course yeah. Duh, it's right there in the title which um, is really just them stabbing each other <laughs> yeah before we wrap up, I also it's not much wanted, of a game. Uh, I just wanted to mention two other plot points I forgot to mention that totally blow my mind and how little they make sense or are revisited. Um, one that when they reveal that all the staff members are like teenagers, and like their the willingness of the employee of the front man to kill those employees, I thought was odd, and also the fact that they mentioned that these games have been running for more than thirty years, and I would have to wonder like how would there any be any people left in your country if you're whipping off three or 400 people a couple times a year? Um, I just thought that it was, you know, we, we talked a lot about plot points and how the show kind of opens doors that it shouldn't open. And there were just two more that I, I had written down to mention. I had forgotten to. That makes no sense because I thought originally that these guards would just return every year. But what you're saying is true. Like they're young, so they must replace the guards every year. But that's kind of weird because then there's just like an entire generation of people out in society that are just like, "Hey, remember when you worked that summer at that fucking squid?" No, 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 no. We don't talk about that summer. Like, no, no, no. We don't talk about. I was out of camp. I got. I got to be honest with you. I I did not like the ending because I know you guys didn't like the plot twist with the old man. That didn't bug me. What What bugged me was the fact that he basically, like you said, he doesn't go back or he doesn't go to North America to visit his daughter. 
he i mean it's his daughter like he does everything for his daughter his family well, ostensibly and you can you can look at it at the point that like you know jihan is a person that does everything under the guise of trying to better his family i said that at the beginning but ultimately his pursuits are extremely selfish you know he's a gambler he's an addict in, in a lot of different facets so in a in a way it makes sense but if if that's the final image you're trying to leave us with a character i would much rather have a character that goes through a complete arc rather than have a character that goes through this experience and ends up in the same place. Maybe it's more realistic, the ending that we do get, but I, I even feel like the show betrays itself there because the show writes that character that he writes a character that would get on that plane and, and be done with the experience at the end. And to see them back away from that just didn't feel authentic to the show that came before it ultimately. Okay. My closing thoughts. Okay. Okay. So I do think this is one of the best shows of 2021. And I did watch Alice in Borderlands right after. And there's such a high contrast, such a huge difference, such a gap in quality that it just goes to show how good the show is. Like, it makes me appreciate Squid Game more watching a show like that. I know a lot of people like that show. I know it's popular, but I think there's like a huge difference in terms of quality. I didn't watch it and I wasn't tempted. And now I'm even less tempted. Uh, all right, we got to wrap this up. Uh, thank you, Randy, for joining us. I don't know what we're talking about next week. Um, I know, Ricky, we've discussed maybe uh, getting a couple more episodes out so we can talk about more stuff because there's just there's a huge list of stuff we want to talk about. And some of it is new and some of it is old. Actually, a lot of it is old. I think next week we're going to catch up on a new film. And I think you said you wanted to review Body Bag. So we might do two episodes next week. Uh, yeah, we we sort of missed the boat on doing a Halloween episode, to be honest. But um, you know, there's a lot going on 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 both our ends, and uh, hopefully we can, uh, like I said, step up production a little bit. Uh, but that's it from us for now. Uh, we will be back in a week's time with something else for you. Do not forget, you can find the show over at SortedCinema.com. It will redirect you to the main site, but SortedCinema.com is where you can find all of the links, and you can follow me on Twitter at SortedCinema and Randy. Um, I'm on Twitter at RJ Dank. I'm still writing over at Goomba Stomp and Process Media is back up and running. Thank you, boys. Uh, talk to you next week.